Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. I hope you are thriving. I am here today with Adrian Tullis, a really good friend of mine from back when I was in college, we first met, and now we are still friends today. I want, Adrian, hi. I want you to, hello, I want you to introduce yourself. She's in a preface um, her talk today. I'm going to give her the floor. She has wonderful things to share today about racism, her thoughts on racism and people's reactions to current events. So I just think what she has to say is profound and deep. And uh, so, yeah. So, Adrian, please, right now you can introduce yourself. Well, hello again. Um, I want to preface by saying that I'm speaking from a subjective point of view that I speak from the perspective of a black multiracial individual, you know, African-American on my mother's side, indigenous Guatemala on my father's. And my experience here may differ somewhat from people of similar backgrounds. Awesome. So <laughs> Go ahead. The floor is yours. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Silver. So the other day, I was uh, telling Christopher here how, in addition to the Christopher Aguilar show, one of my other favorite podcasts listened to on Spotify is the Michelle Obama podcast. And there was an episode she did not too long ago where she and these two young women who would worked for her in the White House were discussing what it was like for them to be Black women in America. And at one point, the First Lady made a comment where she said that we, Black people, don't talk enough about racism and that, quote, we deny our white brethren the opportunity to learn about what our pain is like, what our truth is like, that they don't know because we don't share. And we don't share because we are told that sharing that is a risk. Okay, so when I, I was listening to this, I was driving down the freeway in the middle of uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and I swear, I, I started shouting at my radio. I was like, are you kidding me? We don't share because people don't want to listen. You know, it, it probably looked like I was having a road rage moment right then. <laughs> right? <laughs> the thing is, it, it might be a generational thing. You know, like I know my grandmother is very, you know, just don't, don't, don't bring that up. You know, when it comes to this topic, hell, when she and my grandfather were married, she didn't believe him when he talked about growing up in the deep South in the 1940s. And thing is, my grandmother is a very light-skinned Black woman who grew up in a pretty diverse part of Northeastern Ohio, and she didn't have to deal with Jim Crow growing up. You know, to her, it was inconceivable that my grandfather wasn't just exaggerating when he talked about the level of racism he experienced, you know, growing up in rural Mississippi. And honestly, that's the same problem I had growing up. You know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and I remember trying to have this discussion with friends as far back as elementary school, and I'd always get hit with backlash. You know, people, you know, friends would be like, oh, well, people aren't like that anymore. Or, well, my grandpa's racist, but he's old, etc." But the thing is, this attitude still persisted as I got older. You know, even as everyone around me learned that racism is indeed still alive and well, they still didn't get how prevalent the problem was. You know, racism is viewed as a bad person thing or something you only see amongst conservative Republicans, or especially something you only see down South. And that's the funny thing I've had to explain to people about where I currently live. I live in this place called Vine Grove, Kentucky, you know, central Kentucky near Fort Knox. And uh, 
people assume I've moved to this cesspool of bigotry and hate, you know, when the reality is I've experienced more blatant open racism living on the West Coast than I have here in Kentucky. You know, and I can't speak for everyone here and my experience might be different than someone who is more noticeably black than I am. But I mean, out here, you know, you see people of different races, you know, black and white in particular, interacting far more than I ever did out West. You know, you see people treating each other for the most part with the same level of respect they do for their own. And I don't think it's just classic Southern hospitality. And it's definitely not because racism doesn't exist here because it exists everywhere. I think part of it at least is the fact that racism is so ingrained in the South's own history that they've been forced to confront it for you know much longer. Whereas in more liberal areas out West or the East Coast, anti-racism is more of an ideal than a practice. You know, for example, my uh, my last visit, visit back to Reno, Nevada, where I used to live, so just barely over a year ago, I was leaving this Friendsgiving event with a bunch of people I used to hang out with. And this girl, whom I considered a friend at the time, was telling this story about an incident that occurred at her family's apartment complex. And I didn't hear the entire story, but what I did hear was her conclusion, where she said, that's just why I just don't care for Black people. <laughs> I was stunned. Yeah, <laughs> I was stunned, but I had it in me to say, well, I'm Black. I hope you still like me. You know, and everyone just laughed, but I wasn't trying to be funny. And no one condemned what this person had said, you know, and things largely because that's how much this kind of what they call anti-Black thinking persists. The problem is if you try to call people out on it, instead of examining their own prejudice, they get defensive. Because as I said, racism to them is a, quote, bad person thing, a conservative thing, a Southern thing, not something that exists in the hearts of people who voted for Obama and live in the city. You know, basically people who identify as liberal. <laughs> I, have, I have so many examples, but just to name a few, I'll, I'll never forget another time, my senior year in high school, where a guy in my class, this football player who was pretty cool, randomly asked the teacher what was going on in Africa during the Middle Ages which was odd because this was actually a math class and not history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Random, right? But <laughs> I'll never forget our teacher's response. Okay, and this teacher was someone who was fairly young, young, probably close to my mom's age at that time, so maybe 40s or early 50s. You know, he, he openly professed himself to be a very liberal, progressive individual who believed that one day we'd all be the same color. You know, that BS. You know. But his response to this kid's question it was frankly appalling. He said it was, oh, well, Africans were very, very crude and living in caves back then. We were the ones who were civilized and had technology and, and great inventions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there were so many things wrong with that statement. I don't even know where to begin. You know, not just his uneducated assumption that Africans were a bunch of crude savages living in caves. The fact that he was going on about we as if there weren't any people of color in that class. Because there were. And I don't know if you realized I was black, but a lot of people don't. But there were plenty of Latinos in that class as well. And he was speaking, speaking as if none of us even existed at that moment. And even the tone of his response was almost defensive. You know, and honestly, I'd say it's probably because he assumed that the topic was somehow going to devolve into the subject of racism, which means he'd have to own up to the failure of his profession and the inherent racism in the public school system that fails to give a proper education about history outside of white Western culture. 
So instead, he chose the more comfortable route of making white Europeans look superior to downplay a very legitimate question. Ooh. My goodness, your experience. Your experience. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, listen to this message, and we'll be back with Adrienne herself. All righty, we are back with Adrienne. All right, Adrian, lay it on me. Let's uh, let's okay. listen to the rest of your of your um, of your perspective, shall I say? Your perspective. Okay. No problem. So, okay, well, there, there, there's been a lot of examples, but um, too many to name. But uh, another I can give is a uh, one that probably is the most definitive of the purpose I'm striving for. You know, something that happened when I was in college. And I was going to school full-time at the University of Nevada, Reno. And my dorm mate and I were talking about the subject of racism because I had just witnessed an incredibly horrific, bigoted conversation while riding the bus home. And the bus driver and his passenger were going on about Muslims. And the passenger made a comment about how if he were in charge of the military, well, there'd be a lot less Muslims in the world. And I was just most shaken. <laughs> Yeah, I was just so shaken wow. and that Yeah, talk about my feelings with someone. And my roommate, you know, I told her that she was just as appalled as I was and <clears throat> said something to the effect of how awful it is that people are still so prejudiced and how you know, everyone just needs to get over it, you know. But then out of nowhere, and, and here's the thing, I've come to learn that her type of reaction that followed is for some reason very common when talking about the subject of racism with people. But what she said next was... And I'm so sick of Indians trying to get their land back. We give them so much money to live for free on reservations. And this went on, rambled on about them having casinos and just her argument was just a huge mess. And I was just so stunned. I couldn't even think of how to respond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what I ended up doing was posting about the situation to a Native American community I belonged to on LiveJournal back then, you know, for advice on how to respond to her, you know, because this girl seriously needed to be educated. And I ended up showing this post to a friend of mine that I'd known since we were both in youth, youth uh, symphony back in high school. And this was someone, much like the teacher I spoke about earlier, was essentially, you know, someone who essentially considered themselves, you know, a bleeding heart liberal who hated Republicans and made a huge deal about how she had more black and brown friends than white ones. And she even had the Hindu goddess Ganesha tattooed on her left arm, despite being this hardcore atheist, you know, that kind of person. But uh, when I showed her this post, she became livid. Barely halfway through my post, she looked up with this expression of pure disgust and shrieked, you get irritated at everything we do. And I was shocked. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just shocked, but instead of hearing me out, she starts going on about how this is Reno, and people here go, you know, use the phrase, go home inward in the street, and she's probably just a Republican, and that's just how people are. <laughs> And then later on, there was some comments she left me on a live journal. She tried to lecture me about how I can't just call people racist and how I need to educate them on the subject. But it's like, first of all, it's not my job as a person of color to educate anyone. You know? Second of all, how can I expect to educate people when they don't even want to listen? You know, what, what did you think I was trying to do by telling her about the situation and looking for advice? But... Instead, she made me out to be some angry minority who needs to calm down and treat the white offender's feelings with kid gloves. You know, she didn't give a damn about my feelings or how I was affected. Mm. So 
that's where I find myself incredibly frustrated today. You know, after the events of this past summer, you know, on one hand, I'm happy to see that people of color are gaining allies in the white community. You know, I'm happy to see so many white people out there marching and supporting Black Lives Matter. What bothers me, however, are the number of people I see who suddenly seem to have amnesia about their recent past. You know, these same white liberal friends of mine who constantly tried to talk me down and downplay the effects of racism were suddenly posting these passive sounding posts on Facebook saying things like, well, if I've ever said or done anything offensive or if I've failed to see the problem or been silent, I'm sorry. You know, I even spy that former college friend's post and her profile pic proudly displays a Black Lives Matter filter or banner. You know, that's all well and good. But why did it take this long? Why did it take having a man having his life literally squeezed out of him for the entire world to see for you to finally get it? Why did it take Brianna Taylor being shot five times in her own home for you to start saying the names of other victims of police brutality? Why did it have to become real to you in order for it to be valid? And I'm just going to leave it at that. I am so proud of you, Adrian. I I know you and I know how much you have to say, how much you also have to write. Uh, Adrian is a writer, I want to add. Uh, and what she's written for us today, she's provided just for the Christopher Aguilar show, just an exclusive. How do you feel after sharing that? <laughs> Honestly, um, I don't know because these are things I've said all along. Things I've just I've just been repeating for years and years. I feel like I've been talking to a vacuum this whole time. But it's always nice to have a new venue to speak, you know, speak at, so more people can hear and understand. You know, but I also yeah. feel like I'm just stating the obvious. You know. Hmm. Well, it's <laughs> never really obvious to me. I mean, I you're educating me on a perspective uh, from your being who you are and your background and your experience. And I think for anyone out there for mental wellness, uh, we must own our own experiences and, and learn from it and share and inform and educate. So thank you for coming onto the show today and sharing yourself. Definitely. Cool. Thank you for having me, Christopher. <laughs> oh, of course. All right, you're welcome anytime. Uh, and for those listening, uh, once again, I hope you're thriving. And as I always say, live it, love it now.